Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And I'm Dr. Chris Stroud, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics, and we do so from an authentically Catholic perspective. This is yet another bonus Finding the Halo episode dealing with coronavirus. One meaning of corona is halo of light, so let's together find the silver linings in this pandemic. And Tom and listeners were normally heard on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. This episode will be played on various podcast apps and at RedeemerRadio.com forward slash doctor. We also want to give a shout out, if we could, to the Augustine Institute and the Formed app, that's F-O-R-M-E-D, where Dr. Doctor can now be found. Today's guest, again, a return visit from Dr. Kathleen Birchelman, a pediatrician, wife and mother who lives in Connecticut. She's a pediatric hospitalist and pertinent for this episode on telemedicine in the pandemic. She's co-founder of My Catholic Doctor, a new telehealth virtual care organization that brings faithful physicians and other healthcare professionals to you on your smartphone, tablet, or computer. Kathleen, welcome back to Dr. Doctor. Thanks, guys. So... I can answer part of this question as a dermatologist, but I want you to answer it. Why are physicians so interested in getting telemedicine up and running now and as quickly as possible? Because it works. And all of a sudden, everyone's realizing this, right? That we can very safely and thoroughly examine a patient and treat them using video conferencing. You know, my specialty, dermatology, should be one of the most primed for it, yet we had never done it before this, and we're finding it's taking a lot to get it up and running. Do, do you have any pearls of wisdom on how to get it up and running quickly? Well, my Catholic doctor is here and ready to help you out. So we offer full telehealth services uh, through our organization. So not only will we see you if you're a patient, if you're looking for uh, telehealth care, uh, for sure that's our primary service that we see patients. But if you're a doctor running your own practice and you need telehealth services now, we're here to help you out. We how, can can you also... help, how can you help doctors in that position? You, we can, um, uh, we offer telehealth, a, a full service telehealth platform. So uh, it's a, we use a, a, a video conferencing a service that's HIPAA compliant and it's linked to an online scheduling platform. And then we have our website. So we offer um, one services you can just be listed at our website, but also if you want to be listed, plus use our telehealth platform, plus or minus online scheduling component, um, we can we offer that. And then the third option for providers is just to join our group. In which case, you we offer full service um, practice. That's a telemedicine practice. So we'd also be offering you malpractice that's specific to virtual care, as well as billing collection credentialing with all the insurance companies, um, marketing, et cetera. Because we're finding, you know, I'm located in with Chris in the northeast corner of Indiana. So we have a number of patients from Ohio and Michigan, and yet the telehealth rules won't allow us to see them by telehealth. Right. So this is really changing very quickly now. Thank 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 you, Jesus, because uh, <laughs> because I have to be honest that the reason that there are so many rules about seeing patients across state lines um, is largely financial, and it's not in the best interest of patients. Oh, so, no. yeah, so, so the U.S. laws state that you have to be licensed in the yes. state where your patient is located. Yes. So 
the physician has to be licensed where the patient is. So if you're low, like I worked in St. Louis for many years and we were right on the Illinois line. Oh, sure. And uh, if, if you wanted to see a patient via telehealth in Illinois, you would have had to have an Illinois license, even though they were just a few miles away from you. And um, now, thank God, um, with this pandemic, uh, you know, one of the silver linings, one of the halos is that these barriers are being broken down. And although people will make arguments that the reason these barriers existed is so that each state decides, you know, on, on a state level, what, you know, how they license their physicians and what criteria they use. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that the elephant in the living room is that a lot of this was about money. And uh, that the states don't, um, they want their healthcare dollars to stay within their state. And they want people to see doctors within their own states. And they want doctors to pay lots of money for licenses. So where the nurses have the, um, the nursing compact license, which is quite affordable, that offers basically reciprocity. If you're uh -huh. licensed in one state that's part of the compact, then the rest of those states involved in the nursing compact license recognize your license. This is very powerful, especially for travel nurses, et cetera. Yes. But for physicians, um, you know, we have the Interstate Medical License Compact now, which is new, it went live January 1st, 2018. And I have participated in that, as have um, many physicians within my Catholic doctor. Uh, but, uh, you know, IMLC is very expensive. You still pay for each of these licenses. So we found oh. a way to, to very easily get licensed in many states, and it cuts way down on all the paperwork and fingerprinting and the whole process. However, you still pay for every license. And to get licensed in all participating states, by the time you pay for everything, all the various processing fees and fingerprinting and everything, to get licensed in 20, the 29 participating states is about $12,000. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So, Kathleen, obviously, licensure is an obstacle to a physician listening right now who thinks, gosh, I really should uh, open up telemedicine. What are some other obstacles that physicians are going to encounter if they want to step into this telemedicine world? The other, the other um, well, first to close the licensure topic, the, the gift is that there, these barriers are being broken down and most states are now allowing telehealth across state lines. Thank How do God. we find it's that out? You, you've got to look at the, it's, it's state by state laws. The American Telemedicine Association has a very good list of which American states are Telemedicine. You, you don't know the website, do you? Um, it, I think it's ata.org, I think. But just Google American Telemedicine Association. Thank you. Um, other obstacles. I think the biggest obstacle is lack of familiarity. Like as physicians, we develop routines of how we see patients. And you, you have a, a, a really steady routine in your brain of how you ask questions about how you do your exam, about how you chart patients. And those routines are really important because they make sure that we don't miss anything, which is so much of our job, right? And when you're seeing a patient via video conferencing, via telehealth, um, uh, you feel out of like a fish out of water a little bit. And it only takes a couple calls to really readjust. I think it's sort of similar to starting a new job, working in a different office or working in a different hospital. You've got to make the adjustment. And uh, guess what? It's still almost exactly the same history with a few changes. And your exam, it's still pretty much the same exam, but you are going to have to ask other people to do things. For example, I as a pediatrician, I'm 
when I have a child with abdominal pain, I'm asking the kid to jump up and down. I'm asking the mom to, you know, feel the belly and, um, and, and I'm watching her while she's doing it. Okay. Now lift the shirt. Now I want you to feel real gently around here. And, um, and you know, the, there's, there's some gifts in this. Another gift is that the kid isn't so nervous because it's the mom touching them, not some stranger, right. Or a doctor. So, um, there's, there's been a lot of gifts in, in learning to do the exam a different way. I think patients are more comfortable too, because they have more control. You know, there's nobody saying, okay, now put on this paper gown and take off your underwear. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting, Kathleen, I do a fair amount of telemedicine in my fertility practice and I find I'm much more uncomfortable than the patients seem to be. They seem to warm up to the idea immediately. It's taken me a lot longer to echo sort of your feelings of we have such a such a regimented way as physicians of doing our work, um, but the patients seem to be ultimately very flexible. At least that's been my impression. And that's been my experience too. They're usually so grateful for the convenience. Mm. And I think once they do it once or twice, they're never going back. <laughs> I think that a lot of listeners don't realize how little work the vast majority of physicians have to do right now because of the social distancing and the rules put in place by their states. And so this is a way that we can continue to do patient care with them because just putting patients off for three months, pro problems are going to get three months worse. Yes. If we don't do something. Yes. So I'm guessing that my Catholic doctor, you've seen your uh, busyness increase the last several weeks. Is that true? We have. And, um, that's another silver lining, another gift as, uh, that we're here to serve people from an authentically Catholic perspective or intentionally Catholic perspective. My question is a lot of our patients in dermatology are, are older. Yeah. Do they have a greater difficulty adapting to telemedicine? And if so, how do we help them over those hurdles? Yes, I think so. They've never done it before and it seems so strange, but I will add that um, you know, we've done, not me, I'm a pediatrician, but my colleagues have done telehealth visits with people in their nineties and some of them are surprisingly okay with it all. And so glad that they're not going in someplace. And it's generally, um, sometimes it's the patient's own phone that they're using, but often it's their child or their caregiver doing it. So nuts and bolts, what do what does somebody need as a patient to be able to do a telehealth visit? Not much. You need a smartphone, a computer with a webcam, or a tablet. You need a, some sort of a device with a camera on it. And what, in your experience, what cameras give you the best resolution to know what you're looking at? You know, Tom, when I first started, I asked all these questions and I got really into this, like, you know, it needed to be at least 1040 and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and um, you know what? It doesn't make that much of a difference. Um, if, if I am looking at uh, a, a very tiny rash or lesion on skin, that's actually, and you're a dermatologist, so that's right. actually probably the time when resolution becomes quite important. Right, like and, my post-op healing on a, on a granulating wound, I need to see in focus detail. Yes. But in that case, you can usually ask the patient to take a high-definition photo with a standard smartphone on um, the smart. You would be shocked phone. at how poorly people can take photos with a smartphone. Blurry, no light in the wound. It's just a, a shadow. Um, we're constantly helping people to take better pictures. It, it's remarkable. 
I think that's true. Um, that happens to me too, but I get good pictures too. And it, it's like everything as a doctor, you end up coaching people. Right. It. And, exactly. And, and that's, it's, I don't, I'm not sure it's any different than the rest of the coaching I do as a, as a pediatrician, you know? <laughs> well, I was just thinking, you know, how much time do we spend as physicians trying to extract the information in person from patients? Histories are not easy to get sometimes. Telemedicine doesn't make that worse. May make it better if the patient's more relaxed, but but we're experts of sorts at trying to extract and coach. This is really no exception, is it? I love so, that analogy. Yeah, that is a good analogy. So, what is the biggest hurdle for physicians to start using telemedicine? I think it's money, um, and the primary barrier to doing this before the COVID pandemic was reimbursement and all these really hard reimbursement rules and then the licensure rules. And we at My Catholic Doctor worked so hard to be compliant with all of these regulations and then they just, most of them just got struck down. <laughs> so reimbursement, I understand now, instead of paying a, a very minimal fee by most insurance companies and Medicare, they're now paying the same fee they would for a similarly coded visit in the office. Is that correct? That's right. And everyone says, well, how do I code it? And I said, the same way you do for an office visit. You have to add a GT modifier. But right now during this pandemic, they're actually even waiving it. If you if you don't add the GT modifier, you, you, they still pay you. So it, this is not complicated. It's but from last week, a number of practices got rejected doing yeah. that. So they're having to resubmit, I understand. And I know we've yeah, and from, from several national carriers who we won't mention on the air. <laughs> That you know they're paying seventy percent of the in-person visit, uh, or eighty percent of the in-person visit, much like they might for a nurse practitioner or yes. a PA compared to a physician. And, and I'm wondering is maybe what we're hearing on the news it just hasn't made its way to the boardroom of the insurance companies yet. Uh, no, I I think that the insurance companies have the um, the upper position here, um, because everyone, there's no choice, but telehealth, right? Mm -hmm. So it telehealth it is. And so then the insurance companies, of course, they're going to say, why should we pay more than 80%? I don't think they're going to change that. Um, unless there's government regulation on it. Now there are, they, there are people working very hard from a government perspective to in, in many areas, many parts of the government to say that telehealth has to be reimbursed at the same rate. Mm -hmm. What are the best resources besides my Catholic doctor that physicians can turn to who want to start using telemedicine for their patients? I really love the American Telemedicine Association. It's very affordable to join. Um, it, it was just a couple hundred dollars for a year membership. But with that, I got incredible information available quickly online that I needed to get started with my Catholic doctor when we first opened. And there's just all, you name it, if you want practice standards in your specialty via telehealth, if you want um, resources of you know companies to use, if you want to use a question and answer forum of um, people in your region uh, or people in your specialty, they've got it online. And people do answer. It was incredible. I could ask any question I wanted and some you know, like-minded, uh, lovely healthcare professional would answer me usually within 24 hours. So I think the American Telemedicine Association is, is, is a great group. That's, that's very practical. I haven't heard of them before. I'm, we're going to be on it tomorrow in our practice. Because I think we have a lot of physician listeners that are thinking, hmm, I really should move this way. But I think even more so we have 
patients who are listeners who want their physicians to move this way. And they'll have the greatest opportunity to influence this. That is to say, the patients will by yeah. pressuring their physicians. What visit takes longer, an equivalent inpatient or in, in-person visit or an equivalent um, telemedicine visit for the same problem? I, I think telemedicine takes longer because you have to do all that coaching that we just talked about. And instead of just filling the belly and, and you know, whipping my, you know, I'm a pediatrician, right? I have this whole procedure where I, you know, yes. look at the ears and then look at the mouth and I, and fill the belly and I can do the whole exam so fast. And, um, usually, and I have all these tricks that I use to get the, the, the toddlers to, to participate with me. Right. And, and, on telehealth, it doesn't work so smoothly. And I have to coach the mom to do a lot of, or the parent to do a lot of the exam. And, uh, and so, um, and then you're coaching people sometimes to even through vital signs. Um, you know, I, today I coached a mom through, uh, together with a beautiful sister of life. Um, we co- coached a mom through taking a first rectal temperature. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like, and all this, you know, it just takes time. How do you think this pandemic will change the face of telemedicine in our country? Oh, it's the biggest, this is the biggest silver lining, I think, from my perspective, is that telemedicine is going to become mainstream and normalized, and that's going to increase access to to very faithful Catholic medical care. And Tom, and you, and Chris, you know this, that for 2,000 years, the Catholic Church has been the leader and medical care worldwide, that we have provided cutting edge, incredible healthcare services consistent with the call of Jesus Christ to heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom. And if we're not answering that call with our full heart, you're not practicing good medicine, right? If you're not really praying that, that your work will be the Lord's work, we know all good things come from the Lord. And so you know, and, and Catholic medicine and healing, all the good parts of, of Catholic medicine and healing come from the Lord. And now we will, I think with telehealth, we're going to greatly expand access to that kind of care, which previously in our, in the, over the past, you know, 60 to 80 years in our country, um, with, you know, the, the fire of Catholic medicine has just been extinguished. Wow. So do you think that health insurers will continue to pay for telemedicine visits after the pandemic? Or do you think they'll go back to the way they were, where they paid incredibly low amounts that didn't make our time worthwhile online? I think that that they can't take it away because I think people want it and because it increases access to care and they can't deny that. Very good. do you have any statistics on how telemedicine visits might be increasing in the country as this pandemic goes on? Well, I think uh, um, I, I think the the if you look at the the really big companies, my Catholic doctor is a relatively small company. Uh, if you look at Teladoc and American Well, you know they're reporting like three hundred to fifty percent increases compared to last year. Wow! Wow, that's yeah. a phone calls. Yeah. And uh, also from an economic perspective, if you look at um, plans like Humana On Hand, Humana On Hand is an insurance plan, a product that you can buy, employers can buy that meets the criteria of, um, you know, uh, 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 the, the, of the um, 
uh, uh, of it, or to be insured by the government. So, but it's a really cheap plan. It's a telehealth only plan. And they claim that they take care of 92% of issues by telehealth. So you identify your own primary care doctor through telehealth. You have a virtual primary care doctor and you're talking to the same person every time. And they they feel that 92% of issues can be taken care of by telehealth. For 8% of things they're referring out, they have you know, specialists, et cetera, um, all through virtual care. And then, you know, it's the, it's the flip of the current model. Like if they only refer to in-person care when it's absolutely necessary. So when you need in-person care, you're seeing somebody that you probably don't have a relationship with, as opposed to the current model before this pandemic, it was, you know, you have your primary care doctor with an office and then you might use virtual care for some minor illness on an off right. hour or a weekend. So they flipped the model. But the most important piece here is that this insurance plan is, is markedly cheaper than any other plan that's not a telehealth plan. So they're offering virtual care insurance plans that are huge cost savings. And um, you can say whatever you want about whether that's good or right or ethical, but from a pragmatic perspective, I think insurers are going to look at this option and say, why should I pay twice as much for an in-person plan? Well, you know, from a, from a purely Catholic perspective, I think it gets even better because as you, as all of us know, there just aren't enough authentically Catholic physicians and the geography is what limits patient's ability to get an opinion. I got a phone call today, a, a patient who heard us on Dr. Doctor, and she wanted <laughs> my opinion on how to fill out her living will. And I thought, how sad that you have to call me. But in a way, that's a telemedicine visit. And, yeah, tell her to call my Catholic doctor. We have an incredible <laughs> career hospice nurse who does this. She will um, sit with you. It's, ah, it's very good. And it's, it's billed to your insurance company, and she'll sit with you and help you um, fill out all that paperwork. Oh, that's a great yeah. pearl. Yeah, your approach and your model really could allow us to extend ourselves, if you will, to thousands of more people than we ever could in person. That's right. And and uh, and to carry on again, that um, beautiful model of Catholic healthcare that you know that that the Catholic Church created. The hospital system came out of the monastic system, right? And uh, the the even the early rules of the church, you know, like the rule of Saint Benedict says that the care of the sick should be put above every other task. And you know that's the Catholic way. But we 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 don't just practice you know, good medicine, we cut practice really awesome cutting edge care. And, you know, the live birth rate, you know this, though some people say that the, some studies have shown that the live birth rate of, um, of uh, NAPRO technology uh, treated people, uh, you, you say it's Chris, the live birth rate from <laughs> NAPRO exceeds IVF, I've heard. We're just better. That's all. It's yes, we're just better all around, right? Our, but my point is that our, we, our medicine is better, right? I mean, we've got Jesus Christ involved. I mean, does it get any better? It, it doesn't, Kathleen. Kathleen, I feel like there's some other things I should be asking about telemedicine, but I'm not. What else should I be asking? Um, I think we should talk about the devices. They're so much fun. Thank you. Go ahead. 
So, you know, everybody says, well, what about the stethoscope? I can't get a good lung exam. And um, the, that is probably the biggest limitation. I want to be real honest about this. That, and I think the market's going to change now. But right now, there's really only three major telehealth stethoscopes on the market, and they're very expensive. Um, the first is the ECO, which is probably the, you know, the best, the, the state-of-the-art one is the ECO, E-K-O. But they have a very expensive licensure agreement. Now, they've waived it right now, but they're going to turn it back on So after this pandemic. But, um, you know, I, we were using it for our school-based telehealth program, and it, it's, you know, more than $1,000 per location. So for every, per year per location. So for every stethoscope that we put in a school, we have to pay that license, that uh, software licensure fee. It's too much for a family or a home. Sure. Now, there's there's also the Think Lab stethoscope. It's a great stethoscope. It's I found, find that for a lay person, it's not as user friendly as other stethoscopes. But and it's about five hundred dollars. Um, and um, and then the uh, there's um, an AMG one. Uh, I really like it. That one has software, but it's it's free software. It comes with it. I that is the most user friendly and affordable option in my opinion. Um, there's a 3M stethoscope that was recently like the software. It, it, I think it went off the market or they discontinued the software or something. So, um, you know, the reality is there isn't a good stethoscope option for a family. Now, I think the market's going to change now and we should all watch that. But how do I see somebody with, um, with respiratory distress? Actually, I get a very good exam um, using a fingertip pulse oximeter um, and using and having the family cough, or the, the, the mom prompt the child to cough and also looking for retractions above their clavicles. So between all of those factors, I can make the most important decision I need to make, which is um, whether or not to um, refer them to in-person care. There's also decision support, um, evidence-based decision support available, especially for the telehealth and asthma. So you're, it's an extremely careful evidence-based history and questionnaire that the patient does before they even come on, and then you score it. And uh, that's very effective for home-based management of asthma. So really, we are doing evidence-based strong care, and nobody denies that there are certain things we can't do by telehealth. We can't, um, I can't auscultate a wheeze. Um, I can't deliver a baby, Dr. Stratton. So, and I can't um, do a know, biopsy. That's right. Or, or cancer surgery. So there's, there's still a place for our in-person care, for sure. But Thank isn't God. it interesting, though, in an almost romantic twist that the technology of telemedicine requires you to call on some of the old classic things, listen, look, ask questions. I mean, that is sort of a strange juxtaposition of, of findings there, uh, but it's really beautiful in a way. And also relationship with patient. Mm, absolutely. Which we pride ourselves on at My Catholic Doctor. I think, you know, at My Catholic Doctor, we really want to get to know people. We really want to be your your doctor and have relationship with you. Um, and I think that this is a change from the early telemedicine model where there were these major national companies where you just called them, you know, if, if you needed, you know, some minor illness in the middle of the night and you talk to somebody that you never met before and will never talk to again. I think, I think those days are past. Mm. What else should we know about telemedicine, Kathleen? 
uh, try it if you haven't done it. Now's the time. Oh, we didn't talk with our set devices. There's this really cool um, otoscope I used to look at kids' ears. It's twenty five dollars on Amazon, folks. This is not, uh, you know, this isn't rocket science. It's a, <laughs> and it's so easy. Everyone who buys one like is like, oh, this is so cool. I'm looking at my eardrum, and you see it on your computer. And the, when I do pediatric ear exams, the parent sees the eardrum, and they see the infected eardrum, and then they see the healed eardrum, and they they want you to coach them through. Okay, is this infected? And they call me up, and sometimes they usually already have the pictures on their phone and they're saying okay here's this eardrum is this infected and uh and once a parent has done an ear check with a uh, you know the 25 dollar tesselon uh otoscope that you can buy off the amazon they're they're never going back to the pediatrician for another ear check <laughs> that's tremendous I, I think it's the same thing people get because they can see the skin when i see the skin but once they can see something their whole um their whole way of looking at medicine changes. It's like, oh, there is something wrong. And now it's better because when they see a change, they're usually very happy. Yes. And, and being able to show really and, and it, yes. show people the exam. And the same thing with the when we are using the stethoscope, they hear the heart and lung sounds, right? They hear the wheezes and they're more involved in their own care and they love it. Well, whether it's telemedicine or old fashioned in person medicine, nothing's more empowering to patients than helping them understand their own health. And yes. I think sometimes that's one of the greatest things we do, regardless of the specialty. This so has been true. very eye-opening, Kathleen. Do you have any parting comments for our listeners? Yeah, buy a fingertip pulse oximeter, a bathroom scale, a, a Tesla and Otis, a video otoscope, which is $25 on Amazon, and, uh, uh, and you'll be all set. Thank you, Kathleen. This was a wealth of information for patients and for doctors. So thanks for being back once again on Dr. Doctor. And thank you listeners for being with us for another episode of Dr. Doctor, the official podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. And please share the good news of Dr. Doctor with a friend and invite them to listen on their favorite podcast app or at RedeemerRadio.com forward slash doctor. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. I'm Dr. Chris Stroud. We'll be signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Stay safe and stay healthy. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-hosts or the Catholic Medical Association. Find our past episodes and keep up with the latest from Dr. Doctor by subscribing in your favorite podcast app and following us on Facebook. Get links to follow and subscribe or submit a question for our doctors by texting the word DOCTOR to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or visit RedeemerRadio.com slash doctor. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com.